and they spit on him. And they took a reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe they had put and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of, the, of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots, and then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. And then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah would come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And so Jesus cried out, one of the last things he cried from the cross was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew records this, Mark records this, in, bo in both of their gospels, they record the Aramaic, the actual words that Jesus spoke, and so this had to have been important to them, but, and they also give us the translation. And both record, though, that Jesus also cried out something in a loud voice after this point before giving up his spirit. Neither one of them gives us any explanation on what this means. There's no interpretation for us. There's no theological tie to help us understand how could the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, be forsaken in this moment. Well, Jesus is crying out and he quotes Psalm 22 the very start of that psalm, and Mark in particular, his account seems tightly tied to Psalm 22 throughout. It's explicit and it's intentional. And Psalm 22 is a cry for help, but in the psalm, it never leaves the reality of God's presence from view. So what do we do with this? This is, this is called by theologians and through church history, the cry of dereliction. How do we come to understand this? Was this, in fact, as it seems to be? Because it feels like maybe there was a break in the Trinity. Is that even possible? 
It's hard, but it's a question we need to ask. And, and it's often taught as if it is a break in the Trinity. And at times, looking back, I think I've fallen into teaching it that way inadvertently because it seems compelling and it seems possibly true. We, we are certainly standing on the edge of Trinitarian mystery. How can Father, Son, and Spirit fully God and, and all equally persons that, that share divinity, how could now the Son cry out, why have you forsaken? Forsaken me. And so often we do this. We pit the Father against the Son. And so it might sound something like this that the Father's wrath burned so hotly because of his holiness and justice that he demanded punishment and satisfaction. But the Son, on the other hand, was different than the Father. He came in love and with compassion and wanted to extend mercy and grace to us human sinners. And so the Son took on the punishment, absorbing the Father's fury. And in this moment on the cross, he was experiencing the fullness of the Father's wrath, even including a relational break so that we can hide in the Son's work away from the angry Father. Well, it's compelling, but there's some problems with that. Thomas McCall, a theologian, has written brilliantly on this, and he helps us by saying there's some things we need to avoid when we talk about this moment and this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First, we need to avoid an idea that, that, makes, that re- removes Jesus' humanity. And we might be tempted to say, well, there can't be a break in the Trinity, and so maybe Jesus didn't suffer at all. But no, he, he did suffer. There was an abandonment he experienced on the cross, and so it can't be that. Or in dividing Jesus' divinity from his humanity, we actually fall into an ancient heresy called Nestorianism. And if that's the case, then there's no hope for salvation. But we also need to avoid saying that the Father rejects the Son in fullness because there's nothing in Scripture that says that. The eternal communion between the Father and Son wasn't ruptured on that day. And so what can we say? What is going on here when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, he really was abandoned by his father, but not in his personhood. Theologian John Calvin insisted that Christ as our representative and as our substitute, he said, how could God be angry with his beloved son with whom his soul was well pleased? If you remember what God said at his baptism. Or how could he appease the Father by his intercession for others if he were hostile to himself? But this we say, that Jesus bore the weight of divine anger, that being smitten and afflicted, he experienced all the signs of an angry and avenging God. He felt forsaken of God, but he did not cease in the slightest degree to confide in God's goodness. And so in other words, what we can say here is that God the Father forsook the son in that he abandoned him to this death at the hands of these men, and he did so for our salvation. So as we just read, Jesus in Gethsemane was crying out to his father, take this cup from me, but your will be done. And so throughout his passion and death, Jesus' union as fully God and fully man was completely unbroken, but this is good news for us in our salvation because the communion of Father and Son was never broken. And what that means is that God continues to exist as Father, Son, and Spirit because a break in the Trinity would have meant the, the, the ending of that existence. 
No, this matters to us, though. Tom McCall says the Holy Trinity is completely unified in divine intentions and actions. You need to hear that. Father and Son at the cross were completely unified in actions and intentions. Otherwise, there's multiple God, there are multiple gods. We can't believe otherwise if, if some part or parts of God are not against us while others are for us. The Son doesn't love us and bless us while the Father hates us and curses us. Rather, it's God who is for us. No part or aspect of God and surely no divine person wants to see us damned while the other wants to see us saved. Not at all. God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, whose essence is holy love, is for us. And that is good news. The Father is not the wrath-filled God of the Old Testament somehow softened when Jesus comes in the New Testament. There is God's word from start to finish, and we have been in the New Testament this year in Revelation, and my goodness, is God's wrath continued. And some have noted that, that in the Old Testament, God's wrath is more practical and physical, having to do with, with actual famines and plagues and nations. And in, in the New Testament, it may be even more disturbing because it turns to an eternal scale. But we need to hear this, that, that the Father God is not more wrathful and angry with us than the Son. Remember that when we look at Jesus, we are told that in him all the fullness of deity was pleased to dwell. That means that Jesus is the fullness of God taken on flesh. And so when we look at Jesus in his life, in his actions, in his compassion, in his anger toward the abuse of his people, that we are seeing the fullness of God. The Son is not somehow divided from the Father as if the Son is more loving or compassionate. And thank God for that because that means that all of God is for us. That in love, the Father and Son and Spirit planned together for our redemption in eternity past. That Father, Son, and Spirit made a way for us and that the Son was abandoned, not by God entirely as if the Father ceased to look at or be present with the Son, but he was abandoned to death on the cross at the hands of sinful men in our place and for our sin as our representative and as our substitute. And he pleaded with his Father in Gethsemane, but he knew that this was the only way. And that's what makes this so much more beautiful for us. You see, when we cast that God is the angry father who looks down on us and only was appeased by the son, and that's the only thing that held it back, then we are forever caught in a trap of trying, to, trying harder to do better, to try to earn the father's favor, feeling like his scowl is upon us, and it's just Jesus that has protected us. You know, the father loves you. Jesus backs us up throughout his ministry, saying, saying you know, you, you're wicked, and which of you, if, you're, if your son asks for a fish, is going to give him a snake? You know, the Father is good. Ask him, and he'll give good things to you. And so knowing that the Father loves us, and that the Son was abandoned to his death on the cross, but not abandoned by the Father himself, helps us because there are times when we feel abandoned by God. When we read scripture about God being our protector and our defender and we look at what's happening in our lives and we wonder if it can hold up and be true. 
There are times when the circumstances around us make us wonder if God is present with us. And whether it's suffering and physical pain and illness, when you're in pain, it is hard at times to wonder, why isn't God my protector right now? Or if it's relationship and brokenness and even abuse that you've had to live through and you wonder, where was God in that moment? Oppression of whole people groups, mistreatment and injustice. Or when we go through a year of lockdowns and restrictions and even the glimmers of hope seem to fade and we're left with the despair of isolation and anxiety in the midst of a pandemic. When our lives seem to keep slamming doors in our face and every way seems blocked. See, there's times when the Psalms give voice to our heart's cries and we can cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Or Psalm 13, how long, Lord? How long are you going to hide your face from me? Are you going to forget me forever? And at the heart of Jesus' cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is, it, is, it is this hanging question that is unresolved in, in Matthew or Mark's gospel. And it's left unresolved because it is haunting for us because we ask the same thing. Why, God, did you not protect me from this? Why, God, did you let this happen? But Jesus knows what we walk through when we feel abandoned because he has gone before us and he went into suffering and experienced betrayal and experienced abandonment to circumstances and death itself. And remember, Matthew here says that that Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded his spirit. Mark doesn't pick up what was said, but both Luke and John have more detail for us. See, Jesus wasn't completely abandoned by the Father on the cross because he goes on then, as John says, he goes on to to cry out, it is finished. Saying the work is done. The work that he came to accomplish in our salvation, in our redemption, had been accomplished on the cross in its fullness. And then in Luke, what does he say to his father as he breathes his last? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Trinity wasn't broken. And even while Jesus was in the midst of suffering and death on the cross, when he realized his mission was fulfilled and a loving Father was with him through it all, that he never left his presence, his personhood was never abandoned no matter how bad it got, and he gave himself up to the Father once his work was done. Thank God. God for that. Thomas McCall says, properly understood the cry of dereliction means that the father abandoned the son to this death at the hands of these sinful people for us and for our salvation. It means that the triune God is for us And he is for us in a way that is beyond our wildest hopes and dreams. It means that by the power of the Spirit, the Son of God humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And that means that the Father has exalted him to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It means that God is love, and that the God 
God whose nature is holy love so loved the world that he didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all. And so God, the God who is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, is for us. And this is what makes Friday so good. Because you might feel abandoned by God. You might be questioning why God has let you suffer the way that you've suffered. And when we reach the deepest depths of our own despair and are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, Good Friday comes along to give us the reminder that no matter how distant you feel from God, no matter how alone you feel or no matter how beyond hope you feel, that God is for you, that he has come and made a way for you, that he loves you, and that there are not parts of God that stand against you, that Father, Son, and Spirit, with no division in their affection, have sealed it in Christ's death and resurrection, and nothing can ever take God's love away from you. And so whatever you face in your life, whatever suffering we experience, whatever betrayal and abandonment, we can rest in the midst of any storm because we know that Christ died for us, that we might live with him. So Good Friday shows us that no matter how dark it gets, Sunday's coming. 